The Austrian MotoGP for 2021 will be remembered for the ultimate grandstand finish that saw Brad Binder win for the Austrian KTM squad. Victorious with such drama, theatre and in front of his paymasters of Red Bull and the entire board of KTM, nothing could have gone better for the South African. Reigning with a handful of laps to go, Binder stayed out on slicks and, with his words, survived the last, flag, the last lap to the flag as others who had stopped for wets marmalised the stragglers with their superior grip. Another lap, Binder may well have lost that victory, but there wasn't another lap and he took those brilliant 25 points. I'm Toby Moody and joining me is Valentin Harunchi and Simon Patterson. Simon, what are your first thoughts of Austria 2021? I still hit flag to flag races. Val? Uh, when Miguel Oliveira went down uh, with like 10 laps to go or whatever, my thought was, well, this is a rubbish home double header for KTM. And then everything happened. <laughs> Uh, for me, he has just assured himself into KTM royalty for the rest of his life. He won the first MotoGP for them just 12 months ago at Brno, and now he's won at home in front of them. Yet, yeah, we know how he won, but the fact is, they'll take that home. Um, he did it in front of the board, he did it in front of Stefan Pira, Mr. Trunkenpoltz. I mean, yeah, he's on a magic carpet for the rest of his life. Uh, how scary, Simon, if you don't like flag-to-flag -flag races, how scary were those last couple of laps for you to watch? Uh, it was absolutely insane. And, and it, it, it was... This is the crazy thing about it. It was scary to watch at the time because it looked like he was dancing on ice. And then he came in after the race and he talked to us about it and he made it even scarier. Um, he said that for the last two laps, all of the temperature had gone not just out of the tyres, but out of the brakes as well. So he was going into a corner, grabbing a handful of carbon brakes. Nothing was happening. He said he went into turn three in the last lap. And the way he described it was, he said, the only thing that was working to slow down the bike was the rear brake. The whole Would you thing steal? Was, the whole thing was sideways. He was on the steering lock with the front wheel still pointing forwards, thinking... Well, this is over. And then it just caught itself and managed to save it. It, it just absolutely just terrifyingly dangerous. And, you know, it, it, it's not a circuit to have no brakes, even if your riding's a bit slower because it's in the wet, is it? It's a horrible, dangerous, treacherous circuit. And yesterday kind of... It kind of highlighted everything I hate about flag-to-flag -flag races, really. Um, Brad did an exceptional job. I'm taking nothing away from him. There was a huge amount of skill and talent in keeping that bike upright. But it, it felt like the biggest gambler won yesterday, not the fastest rider. And it felt like something... The, the last three laps felt like it was on a knife edge, like something could have went horribly wrong at any time. And, um, yeah, it just kind of reinforces all my notions about those sorts of races. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you because it was, it was very, very, very entertaining. But the Red Bull Ring is just not, not the circuit where for MotoGP you want any precipitation. You just you do not want rain there desperately. Actually, watching the race in the dry and seeing, I think, only Zarco crash out... I was I was thinking, well, this track's not great in terms of safety for MotoGP, and we've seen that over and over again. But at least folks don't crash. At least the actual crashing is a relative rarity. People are really able to stay on the bike, on the Red Bull Ring for the most part. 
and then obviously when the when the rain comes in that all goes out the window so it was it was heart math stuff but i think honestly only reflecting on it because at the time i personally i i didn't have the time to get scared I just it was it was so wild. I I don't think that part really caught up with me. Yeah, and I think there was quite a few of the writers had the exact same view. Um, I I asked uh, Rossi and Lacona after the race because um, they stopped at turn one, and I told I said to them whenever we were talking afterwards that they looked like soldiers that had survived Armistice Day, and and they thought that it was like the perfect analogy because th- that is literally you know this is three guys who finished fifth, sixth, and seventh finishing celebrating like they just finished first second and third in the world championship and it was just the emotion of having made it around on slick tires i mean what did Jorge martin say after the race you know i was disappointed i was i forget he thought he was sixth or seventh on the beginning of the last lap and oh this is not very good and he crossed the line he didn't know where he was he was like oh third that onboard when he discovered that he was in third they all stopped at the exit of turn one to look at the big screen so that they could read the timing bar and see where they were um, Peko, uh, I think, lost track also because he had to pass like everyone. Peko said he came down the start, finished straight in the last lap, the start of the lap, and his pit board said P11, and he was got got really angry. And then he said he saw a group of riders in front of him and thought, "We'll see what happens." And then he says he got to the group of riders and there was ten of them. <laughs> he didn't he said he them. said he passed six six people on one corner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, which which says a lot about how treacherous it was out there in slick tires. Yeah, you see, I'm a bit more of a of a gambler, and I can see what you're saying, Simon, that you don't like flag to flag races. I get that, and we all have our opinion. Uh, nobody, nobody, nobody got hurt, and it was great entertainment. Is that because I'm coming from TV world, and you're coming from a different angle maybe can you see my point of view it was just great entertainment yeah yeah. it it absolutely was um and maybe you're right maybe it's because i come from a background in road racing where you never ever want to see anything like that happen uh but for me you know the the moto gp's flag to flag races are their equivalent of bsb showdown it's it's manufactured entertainment in a series that doesn't need it Mm -hmm. i'm sort of looking at it from from two sort of arguments on the one hand it really does suck that Banyaya, having controlled so much of the race, didn't come away with the win because it's starting to feel like he's seriously overdue given the season that he's having and given that he crashed out laps, laps from victory last year. But on the other hand, what softens the sort of randomness of it is we did get a, a proper Red Bull Ring race the weekend before. So, you know, a bit of madness. If you're going to have a bit of a bit of madness, a bit of chance-determined <clears throat> racing, then... Might as well have it on the second race of a doubleheader. Yeah, and boy, oh True. boy, did we have some drama. Um, so as I touched on at the top of the podcast, KTM have won in Austria before, but to do it with the works team, they did it with Tech 3 last year with Miguel Oliveira, but to do it with the works team, as I say, in front of Stefan Piero, Hubert Trunkerpoltz, I was on the grid for the race when I was working for them, whenever that was, 2017. And as Hubert said to me, all is good, Toby. The financial the financial director has had a good day. We're okay for next year. Half joke, half half serious. But he was there yesterday. So although they are in the championship for some years, they've signed up for another chunk with Dorna. They're going to be hanging, they're going to be sticking around for a for a long time yet. They're third in the constructors' championship. They're ahead of Suzuki. They're ahead of Honda. 
and they're ahead of Aprilia. So with uh, 57 points behind at the moment, Yamaha in the Constructors' Championship and they're fourth out of the 11 in the Teams' Championship. So as they said from the beginning, they've climbed K2, they've climbed Kilimanjaro, but they've yet to climb Everest. That's their last focus in motorcycle racing yesterday must count as second base camp though. correct call me deeply unromantic but you know as, as as good and fun as binder's win was and as good as it was for his personal season if i'm ktm i'm a little bit worried about the dry performance over the over the double header um also because this race looked pretty finely poised before the rain before the start Binder made it to Q2 for once, and having not made it to Q2 the week before, he fought he fought his way to fourth. You'd think this time with a better starting position, they'd be really really up there, and it didn't it didn't look like it in the dry. And considering what we saw from the RC16 at this track in both races last year, it's not it's not great. I mean, ultimately the result is fantastic, but. They'll take yeah, it. Obviously. Yeah, sure. But I, I have questions about the underlying performance, I think. Also worth throwing out there that uh, they won two races last year on a front tire that they loved. That front tire was taken away from them this year and they complained bitterly about it. And then after Miguel Oliveira's tire delaminated last weekend, the tire was back this weekend and it still didn't do the trick. Yes, it's a dilemma, isn't it? Uh, the, the, it? It's the celebrating in the bar on the Saturday, on the Sunday night, and in the factory this morning at uh, Munderfing. But there's a little niggling voice at the back of your head going, "If it was dry." But you take the points when you can. Uh, championship leader Fabio Quattararo continuing to lead this year's MotoGP Championship by now 47 points. Banyaya has closed in a little bit. Uh, Quattararo came over the line in seventh place for those nine points. How did he get away with it? Another lap and he would have been in bigger trouble. That was such a, such a fascinating race from Fabio. Maybe one of the most fascinating race performances that I've seen all season because there were absolutely points of the race and I think most, most notably the first lap in which he looked like he was going to nearly fall off at turn one and then tried an over-optimistic move on Jorge Martin that compromised them both at, I think, turn six. Um, and then, later on, there were two of the finest overtakes I've, I've seen this season. There was that absolutely preposterous thing with Martin and, and Marquez into turn three that made me... I think shout obscenities at home or something. You know, I, I, I shouted at the, at, the, at the screen here, you can't do that. You can't do that. You, can't, you especially can't do that if you're the championship leader who more than anything needs to not lose points. But it was, it was just such beautiful... Passing a Ducati and a Honda and a Yamaha. Yeah. And, and round the outside, like it looked like something out of Speedway. It looked absolutely incredible. <laughs> It looked it looked yeah. like something out of Jorge Lorenzo's history. And then he did he did honest. similar later on with uh, Banyaya and Martin with two Ducatis also at turn three. I mean that that was he is box office. He is a ton of fun. At the end of the day, I think <clears throat> I think he did get away with one because the wet pace just just wasn't really there. And I think that's maybe going to be a theme for the rest of the season. I think finishing seventh with a bunch of people ahead that aren't really in the championship fight. I think this was really good. 
and I, I think he deserved it, even though there were there were a few a few errors that maybe could have been a lot more costly. Mm. He risked it. Fair play. He hung it out. He didn't mess about. And as a championship leader, he had a bit to lose there, but he was brave and he he hung it out. I think he was also fairly aware of what was going on around him. Um, he knew that Johan Zarko was in the gravel, which had bought him a bit of time. He could see where uh, Paco Bagnaia was in front of him. So he was just managing that gap a little bit. He admitted yesterday that it was the first time this year that he's really thought about the championship during a race um, after the rain came. And I think that's, you know, that isn't a bad thing. Um, especially whenever you're racing against someone who did take points off him yesterday, who is the reigning championship champion and who won a championship last year by always thinking about the championship in the form of one mayor. And he also said yesterday he was thinking about the title with kind of one eye on it. Well, he managed to hold it all together. Talking about the Monster Energy Works Yamaha team, we've started our broadcast on the Monday morning after the race, and it's literally just landed into our screens that Vinales, who we knew at the beginning of the weekend had been suspended from Yamaha after trying to blow up the engine in the first Austrian race, but he's now going to be going to Aprilia in 2022. Uh, Simon, might we even see him on an Aprilia before the end of the year? That depends on how badly Yamaha want rid of him after the rather crazy antics of the Styrian Grand Prix, basically. Um, so, officially suspended for last weekend's race after trying to blow up the engine, of course. Uh, present this weekend, but not riding. Um, made an apology to Yamaha pleaded for forgiveness with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The reason that we haven't heard anything beyond a suspension is, and I'd completely forgotten about this, Japan takes annual holidays in early August. The Yamaha factory shut down. There's no one in headquarters to sack him. Um, if they're going to get rid of him, which everyone in the paddock is expecting they will do effective immediately, it'll happen this week. And then we'll see what will happen with Aprilia for the rest of the year. Um, if Yamaha want to say, look, we want rid of you, we're only giving you half the money we owe you for this season, just go, then they might let him ride just to just to get rid of him. Basically. Make the problem go away. Exactly. If they want to be complete assholes about it, if he tries to fight for more for his entire salary, something like that, then it'll be different. Um, but Aprilia... Well, absolutely. No, let's not forget, Lorenzo Salvadori is doing a good job for them, but he is essentially a test rider who's racing for them. They will have no problem with moving him to a full-time test rider role and putting putting uh, Maverick on the bike as soon as. They've also got the option of running six wildcards this season, which they haven't done, so they, they could always throw him out on some of those as well. You know, But it, it depends on what... It, it's Yamaha's power basically it's it's them to make the decision but i'm more than anything i'm weirdly fascinated about whether team's championship and manufacturer's championship will come into yamaha's thinking in any way shape or form because they could still need maverick Vinales, as weird as that sounds uh maybe they're really really tired of him but he could still come in handy i think they they didn't lose anything by suspending him this weekend because this was the kind of race where Maverick Vinales never scores points or never scores like more than two or three. This was absolutely not his type of conditions. But at Silverstone, uh, 
if you brought him back, he'd he'd probably deliver a really solid haul towards the towards the team's championship. The question is whether that's worth more than the price of forgiving him, and it sounds like it's it's not. So, yeah. And there is, you know, we've heard rumors that they're going to stick Cal Crutchlow in the factory bike to replace him at Silverstone, and you have to think that the odds of, you know, the odds of Cal outperforming Vinales, given his his pace. Red Bull ring is potential, but you know, Cal in a there's probably you would consistently assume that Cal will pick up five or six points, maybe. Whereas Maverick could win the race or finish last again. Yeah. So at least there's a little bit of consistency with sticking Cal on the bike. I fancy Maverick at, at Silverstone for obvious reasons, but yeah, no, I see your point. Simon's right. There's two ways it can go. It's 180 degrees difference. There's not much in the middle, yeah. is there? Uh, Maverick is either going to come back and go, I'm going to ride around in circles and take my money, or he's going to go, do you know what? You guys, I'm going to win this and put his marker down. One thing that Marco Melandri did when he was on the Ducati 2008, it was, the, oh, the Ducati it had just won the championship with KC and it was the, the new White Hope. And he jumped on it, and I've said this before in a previous podcast, he got to race three, which was Hareth in 08, off the top of my head, and he said to the Ducati guys on the Thursday, do you know what, this is a pig, I can't ride it, because it wasn't easy to ride, see what Casey did, I'm out, pay me till Sunday night, I'll sign whatever you want, I'll go home, I don't want any money, I just 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 pay me till Sunday night, and Phil put Goreshi on it or something. And Ducati said, no, you've got to honour your contract, you've got to do it. And he said, that's fine, I'll just ride around in circles. And that's what he did for the rest of the year. Didn't win anything, didn't get anything. He just said, if you want me to ride around in circles, I will. So there's two ways it can go with Vinales, and as Simon has touched on, you just don't know. I don't think even he knows. Melandri did, of course, also famously bail on Aprilia after starting a, a really poor MotoGP season with him that he wanted no part of, I believe, from the very beginning. Uh, but yeah, the thing with Maverick is what the Styrian GP suggested to me is that he is not capable of simply riding around in circles for the paycheck. I don't think he can do that. I don't think he's that kind of rider in, in any circumstance. So I expect if 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 what happened in Styria, like uh, in the Styrian GP, bothers Yamaha as much as as much as it bothers. More than it bothers me, let's put it that way. If it bothers them like a lot, a lot, a lot, then it's it's better to just sever the cord now and go their separate ways. But if they think that a farewell tour with Maverick is still, there's still something salvageable there, they can have a go. And Yamaha have, at all costs, got to protect Fabio Quattararo with that 47-point lead. You know, they haven't oh, yeah, won a world absolutely. championship since Lorenzo in 2015. And the one before them was Lorenzo in 2012. So it's been Honda, 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 Honda and Suzuki since they last won. They need to get back in. And this is their golden chance. It's beginning to be theirs to lose. And I think, without putting words yeah, in your I mouth, you're all, gonna, you're all nodding. You're all going to agree with me, yeah? yeah? So it's theirs to lose. So they've got to protect Fabio and... Yeah, I don't think they'll put him back on the bike. I think they'll, as Simon says, they'll do the last few lawyers' letters and be gone with him. The only reason he turned up on Friday in his team kit was his lawyer said, turn up to do your job, and if they don't supply the motorcycle, then they can, we can wave that piece of paper at them. That ain't going to wash with Yamaha. But at least he tried. They've all done it before, and we'll see it again. 
Marc Marquez was right up there at the beginning of the second Austrian MotoGP. Shades of Le Mans to a certain degree. Um, he was more back for me yesterday than I've seen him anywhere else since his injury 12 months ago. I, I think really different from Le Mans um, because it was in the dry that he was fastest. Uh, he said afterwards that it was his best Sunday of the year. I think that that is unarguably that is the case he you know just this is someone who has won a race but that was better because he won a race doing what he does slightly dodgy conditions threw it away from the field didn't have to fight yesterday he was the old scrappy mark marquez again and and he looked comfortable doing it which um bodes well for his recovery uh when we got to the rain he made a mistake that's the second time this year he's made a mistake in the wet conditions and I think that that shows where the limit is. It shows that there is still a limit, that there is still a, a hurdle where he just he just can't quite get the last little bit of feeling that he used to have because he's not physically capable of controlling the bike the same way he used to. Um, we've seen a lot this weekend nursing the shoulder, not the arm, which um, you know a few people have suggested. Obviously, he has bad shoulders anyway. He's had multiple surgeries on them. And straining the arm will put more effort into the shoulder. It'll put more work into the shoulder. It'll tire it out more. Um, so, you know, that is something that, that he still has to adapt to. But I think everything's going swimmingly. He is on path to return to winning races. Um, I still don't think he's ever going to come back and dominate the way he used to. Um, I think that he is now in a new generation of MotoGP where... There are other guys around him who are super, super fast and super, super aggressive. And he will always be paying a little bit of catch up to them. But, but he'll be back winning races before the end of the season as like, you know, semi-consistent Mark Marquez. I'm back to the sort of mode that I was after he had the three consecutive three consecutive crashes out of the races. And actually, Simon, you said it was a second mistake in, in this kind of condition. It was the third because at Le Mans he crashed twice. Uh, so Of course he did. That's, you know, how for how long should the promise of a good result be enough if you then go on and, and fall over? Does does Mark currently just want it too much, want to win too much instead of deliver a respectable finish? Uh, when you look at flag-to-flag MotoGP races on the current grid, there are two names that stick out to you that are really good bets for a win. And obviously Jack Miller is the first one, we'll get to him later. Mark is the second one. There was a period in MotoGP where Mark, Mark just won every flag-to-flag race very comfortably, unless he got disqualified or something. Uh, and, and, and this time, there was no that built-in buffer, and he tried really hard to, to overcome the pit stop. You, you, just, you expect Mark to walk away from the rest of the pack in conditions like these, and it's, it's not happening right now. I think he's trying really hard to, to compensate for it. But that said, the dry performance was really good. And looking at where the other Hondas was, it really elevates it too. So that's, you know, that is obviously a positive. And at the end of the day, most MotoGP races are in dry conditions. Yeah. Mark did admit after the race, I haven't got that cat-like agility to always guarantee I'm going to land on my feet when I fall out the tree. He, 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 that was just a bit of a, almost a mature remark at accepting that he's not the person that he was, as you've touched on. So, yeah, eventually came over the line uh, back in 15th position. 
head of his teammate, we haven't mentioned him for a few podcasts, uh, Paul Espargaro, who wasn't even in the points. I don't remember the last time I saw a factory press release after a race where the writer was allowed to use the word disastrous. And Paul Espargaro was yesterday. And it runs up not just this weekend, but the last two weekends. He has just been completely lost. He can't find rear grip with the Honda. He can't make the bike turn as a result. Uh, he can't use the rear brake to help steer the bike. He just has absolutely no idea what the solution out of it is. It, it was really interesting at the weekend. It shows how bad the situation is and how not new the situation is that the first thing Cal Crutchlow did when he got the Yamaha was get them to basically dial out all the rear grip because he said he got in a bike that had loads of it, couldn't ride it anymore because he spent so long in the Honda. So they've spent all, they started on a bike that is set up to give him no rear grip and then have been slowly adding it back in over the course of six days of riding just to get him back to speed and how to actually ride a proper motorbike because the Honda's so bad. And, you know, it, it, it seems to be it's the way that Mark Marquez likes his bike set up. And as long as Mark Marquez is happy with it, Paul is going to struggle because Honda aren't going to fix it for him. Here's a here's a sort of question that's not really based in anything but timing, but I think is worth exploring. So where Paul began the season, obviously his form in Qatar testing was pretty good, and his form in the Qatar the two Qatar weekends was okay. But what, what was important is that he was pretty clearly ahead of the two LCR guys. Now it looks like both LCR guys have leapfrogged him, and that seems to have happened soon after Marquez came back. Is like it, it felt like either he was he's been standing still and regressing and it's felt like nothing is being done to address it. Maybe something is being done but just not not what he needs. It's it's just a really, really weird season because he looked he looked perfect for this bike. And then it's like there have been no steps forward. There have been glimpses. Usually on Friday he looks a lot better, but then on Sunday it's that Vinales esque problem of the I guess the Moto Two Dunlop rubber gets put down, and suddenly it all goes to hell. But I, I, it's hard to figure out why. Paul's best results so far this year has been two eighth positions, and in the last six Grand Prix, he has scored uh, 12, 16 points. I mean, wow, 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 wow. As Simon says, it's not even an ever-decreasing circle. It's the the walls are closing in on the ever prison cell prison cell and he cannot get out and it's I, I sympathize with them and I don't sympathize with them very often but I do sympathize mentally you just don't know where to go and then the team start to drift away from you they lose faith in you and it gets worse and worse and worse also worth noting last weekend Paul on Saturday was praying for chaos wanted a hurricane to come and hit the circuit so that he could perform this week, the, the hurricane arrived and Paul was still 16. I remember, this is a guy who who got his first podium by crashing in the wet and then still finishing third anyway. Yeah. By, and yeah. this is the guy who at this track has always has, has been excellent for KTM. So yeah. yeah. Problem might be Paul. Probably it is partly Paul, but we look back at what happened to Jorge on that bike and we look back at what happened to Danny Pedrosa in his final Honda years. Yeah. The, the only thing that kind of saves Paul yesterday, he was very, um, you know, whenever a writer has that look on their face, whenever they want to tell you the truth, but they can't, uh, something went wrong with his flag-to-flag pit stop. 
he said something. He implied that the bike wasn't ready whenever he wanted to come in and that he'd had to do a couple of extra laps. I think he was behind the two LCRs even in the dry, so... Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it isn't, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card, but but also the fact that his bike wasn't ready in Repsol Honda Yeah. sort of says, what the hell's going on with the whole thing, you know? Uh, that's not good enough. <clears throat> Yeah, that's not good enough. There was an onboard shot a lap and a half before they all came in. And if you looked on that shot, you could see across the valley over towards the airfield, there was a tower of rain falling out of a sky. It was like something out of a Spiel... No jokes, please. A Spielberg yeah, movie. <laughs> Did you get that? And, and I said... And I shouted again at the television because I'm good at that. And... I went, oh, it's going to rain. They better. And I, I was surprised they didn't come in there and then. But the TV guys didn't pick up on it. But it, there's a lot going on on TV, and I've missed stuff, and it's easier to miss stuff. But the, the Repsol guys, everybody should have seen that. They should have seen. Just run the bike. It's not going to run out of fuel on the stand. One person who did see that cloud of rain was Jack Miller. Uh, he said afterwards that he came out of turn three, happened to glance over towards the airport and saw that rain cloud. And that's why he was the first one to dive yeah. into the pits. That uh, was an error. Yeah. The shot. It was. The shot was through the first left by the KTM yeah. stand on the left. It was looking when you're pointing yeah. down the hill. But anyway, uh, I'm not the one on the bike and I'm not the one going to hospital. None of us are. Um, well, one guy who did crash uh, was Joan Zarco, uh, slipping down the championship order. His second non-score of the year. Big championship hit for him, second to fourth. Is it is it over, or is it too early to say that for him? I think it's too early to say, but what I do think is that the thought, is it over, might have crossed his mind when he was seeing Fabio fighting ahead in the lead pack and him not being quite able to. And I think that probably forced him to push a little bit too hard to stay in that leading group and fall over and draw draw blank. Um, it's just, the big problem isn't the crash. The big problem is that even if he did finish where he was running, that's just not enough uh, for, for a championship challenge when you're a Ducati at the Red Bull ring. I mean... In, in the dry, we, we, we got one win, which was his teammate, Jorge Martin, and we very much could have gotten another win in, in Banyaya. And Zarco both times wasn't, wasn't really in the mix, which is, it's a problem. That's like, that's the weekends that you need to capitalize on if you want to mount a serious championship challenge. So I think, I think really disappointing that he didn't quite have that touch of pace. I really, I really fancied him to win one of these two races. I disagree in that I don't think it's over because I don't think it ever started. I still don't think a satellite team can win a MotoGP World Championship. Um, I think it's quite telling that Zarco's had a little bit of a blip and suddenly the championship is factory Yamaha, factory Ducati, factory Suzuki again, the way things should be. Uh, it is no offence at all to him. It's no offence to Pramac. It's just the nature of the game. When you've got an entire R&D department of 100 people building parts of the motorbike that you want and you've got 20 engineers sitting in an office looking at your data, the guy who gets the hand-me-down parts and has three engineers isn't going to be as competitive, plain and simple. You're absolutely right. I'm smiling as you say it, 
but it was just my little bit of romantic. Oh, come on, Joanne. <laughs> you know what I'm like. I just want oh, him to all, win a race. We all, we, all, we all wanted him to. Yeah. Without a shadow of it. Oh, we all yeah. wanted him to put up a fight. He said after the race, he, he was quite circumspect. He said that... Uh, that he hadn't had front feel all weekend, and that's eventually what caused the crash. That the, just the front of the bike wouldn't feel right for him. But he also said that you know it's a reminder to enjoy races while you're racing them, to not get caught up in thinking about a championship, to go out to do stupid things, to crash, to win, to be happy, to be sad. Like Binder did, and it worked. Exactly, exactly. That is the sign of someone out of a championship contention who was able to do something daft, and it worked. So did Miller pit too early or one lap too late? Too early. Yeah. Yeah. And so did Alex Rins, yeah. who followed him in. Miller came in too early. 100%. He admitted afterwards. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we, we, uh, we wrote an article last night with a headline using the words herd mentality. That's why Rins pitted. He saw someone who he knew was really good in those conditions doing it. So he just went too. Uh, Miller really struggled all weekend. He admitted that. He just couldn't get the bike working. He was having a disaster of a race. He saw the rain coming and he thought, you know what? I'll roll the dice. Here's the chance. I'll dive into the pits. I'll get in the wet bike. I'll hope that it pours down while they're still out in slicks. And I can build up a 30-second lead and I'll win the race. And it just didn't work for him, unfortunately. And obviously, it's the same for Rins and that his race was already spoiled because he went off at turn four early on trying to pass the, the two KTMs. So we have two guys who really should have been much stronger here, who both had really, really bad Sundays and, the, and therefore had the incentive to do something even dafter than what Binder did and pull into the pits while the track was still effectively dry. Definitely not a wet tire track, just hoping that the rain, just the sky suddenly open up, which, which they did not. They, they did it gradually and that, that sort of ruined their both races. I think really, really disappointing for both Miller's title challenge, despite those two back-to-back wins, feels like it never really got off, got off the ground. And I, I'm, I'm slightly worried about his baseline pace compared to the other Ducatis because he really, in terms of experience and stuff, he really should be leading that pack. But it feels like Banyaya is, on average, basically level, sometimes a bit ahead. And for Rins, is it better to? be in the mix for like victory for four races in a row and then crash out each time or is it better to just sort of quietly bring it home in 10th i think since he returned i've not seen that pace that we've seen before talking about 10th position let's do that whilst it's bird in the hand uh, alicia spargaro eventually finished there he was teetering around on the slicks uh, Steve Day did say, oh, he looks stiff on the bike and, and rigid and whatever thing as they went through the, the old Bosch curve, uh, Gosser curve. And, um, and a couple of corners later, he just couldn't turn the bike. I've not been a racer. I don't think any of you guys have, but we've been on a bike when it's just like, oh, oh, I'm going to fall off. And it's just terrible. There's nothing you can do because you've got into your head that you're going to fall off. What a shame. I thought it was all going to work out for him just for those few laps. I'm sure you did, Simon. Absolutely did. And uh, he admitted afterwards, those are his least favourite conditions. He said that there's no racer in the world that hits riding on a wet track and slicks more than he does, which Jorge Lorenzo might disagree about. But, uh, but yeah, he said that he felt okay and he thought, fuck it, I'll risk it. I'll see what happens. Um, and he, he said that he had one minute of his entire race that cost him everything because the, the bike locked up 
uh, going into turn three, coming up the straight, touched the brakes, front wheel locked, rear wheel locked, bike went sideways uh, to try and get it stopped. Uh, and he said that was the moment then everything fell apart after that. Um, he was broken last night. He thought the podium was there, bless him. And he said that, you know, that given how much he hated hates those conditions, he said that had he got on the podium, it wouldn't have felt like a lucky podium for him. It wouldn't have felt like, oh, we only did it because it was wet. It would have felt like something that to be very proud of because of how bad it was out there, but wasn't to be. And how cool would have that podium been? I mean, we all want to see them there. Oh, Brad, Brad Binder, Alicia Spagaro and Valentino Rossi, the party would still be going if the three of them had gotten the podium. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's rare to see, like, watching how Alicia's podium sort of got away from him. It's weird to see, even without a tire difference, you could see how much more comfortable Iker Lecuona and Luca Marini. Iker Lecuona obviously being uh, something of a wet weather wizard. Marini, I, I genuinely don't remember about his wet weather pedigree, but, but it looks like he's quite handy as well. But it, they looked so much more comfortable in the slicks and the wet than Alesh. Like, it just it's rare that in MotoGP you see such a pronounced difference with your eyes. For me, there's a, a, an easy factor in it. Alicia Spigaro cycles a thousand kilometers a week. Luca Marini spends four hours a week riding Valentino Rossi's flat track. And Iker Lacuna is an ex-World Supermoto rider. That, for me, is yeah. the difference. Alesh doesn't train yeah, off-road. The other two live off-road. And I think we saw that yesterday. We saw the be the, the benefit of it. Because it's like it's like this new generation of uh, pro cyclists we're seeing who have amazing bike handling skills because they all started riding mountain bikes and cyclocross. It's the same thing. Exactly. And then they go and win a stage of the Tour. Incredible. Exactly. Great crossover. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Great crossover. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Lecky, uh, Marini in fifth position. Uh, uh, Lecuona in sixth. We've mentioned Quattararo in seventh. Valentino came home in eighth. A uh, little bit invisible in the race, but stood in front of the stand and said, right, because remember, he announced his retirement before the double header, so he hasn't left the circuit until that slowing down lap of Austria 2. That was his first kind of farewell on the cooling down lap moment, wasn't it, that we're now going to see between now and the end of the year. Uh, did I read some rumours about wild cards for Valentino next year? He, he mentioned them, but um, it was a more of a sort of a never say never than it was a... I'm definitely coming to do them. Um, I think it was more, let's keep the fans happy with a smart comment rather than rule it out completely. But I will say, to go back to his race yesterday, he had an absolute blast. Yesterday was the sort of race that keeps Valentino Rossi racing because he had so much fun. And when he was talking about the uh, the performance with um, Lucona and Marini and the celebration afterwards as well, he was quite funny. He said that, what we haven't seen is that the three of them have spent a lot of time this year racing together, but it's for 15th place. So you never see them on screen doing it. Yeah. And yesterday they got oh, to yeah. do it in front of the cameras. So he had great fun. He, you know, they, they got to show off themselves in front of the, the cameras. He said that they, you know, just, it was, it was enjoyable because it was so dangerous and so treacherous. There was a real buzz off it. It's Valentino Rossi's new ranch in Austria, and it was live on TV. That's what they were doing. It's what they do during the week, as you say. Just 
it was a bit more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> ever so slightly than a 450 motocross bike. Ever so slightly. Ever so slightly. Uh, reigning world champion, Juan Mir, fourth position for him. Uh, therefore, leading Suzuki. Alex Rins, his teammate, back down in 14th. Was it me or was he the invisible man yesterday? Mir or Rins? Mir, sorry. Mir. Mir? A little bit, yeah. But, it's you know, it's a... I think net positive race for him, considering that past wet weather races haven't haven't gone so well for for Mia. I mean, he took some points off Fabio. I think he now probably looks like the likeliest threat, even though any sort of tangible threat to Fabio's title chances would would require a Fabio meltdown of some sort. But you know, it was probably as as good as he could have hoped for. Again, Suzuki season does not look transformed by the by the upgrade i don't think because they were stronger at the red bull ring last year than they've looked both of these weekends but it's it's a decent decent starting point and a decent enough and at least over the course of the season i think he'll have a real good shot of at least not going winless in his, in his title defense that's my feeling yeah mir like i said earlier mir said afterwards that he was thinking of the championship to an extent that um when the rain came down and that little group formed, he saw his chance to get into the group. He followed the group around. He waited until the group all pitted for wet tires and he went too because everyone else was doing it around him. Um, and he just kind of played it safe-ish. Um, maybe he shouldn't think, have. Maybe he maybe. shouldn't have, but at yeah. the same time, I think he knew who was in front of him and who was behind him. Yeah. He knew that he was going to take points off the right people and not give away points to anyone too important Maybe Bagnaya, but yeah, I think I think he was happy with his performance yesterday, and I see why. Not only have the Monster Energy Yamaha team got to sort out what they're going to do with Vinales between now and the end of the year, we touched on that earlier, but we also got over the weekend the news that Patronus are going to downscale their motorcycle Grand Prix effort, not in the big class per se, but elsewhere. Simon, uh, in all three classes. Um, and we're going to have to get used to not calling them Patronus anymore because the Malaysian petrol giant is pulling out. That's taken a lot of money away from them. Uh, Moto2 and Moto3 teams, unfortunately, are going, um, and a lot of people are going to lose their jobs as a result, which is horrid. The MotoGP team is going to go from having a 2021 spec bike and a spec sort of semi-upgraded old bike to having two B-spec bikes, which are the old... Tech 3, whatever is left over at the end of the year, you can have it all in a box and use it until you run out of stuff spec, basically. Um, they're probably going to end up with Darren Binder going directly from Moto3 to MotoGP as one of their riders, which is uh, not a move I would have agreed to. Um, Darren is fast, but he is... I don't want to use the word reckless but he does like to bang people off a little bit and he needs more time to get that out of his system being put in a MotoGP bike and, and with before losing that out of your system is not a good idea. Um, so that is worrying really. Um, and it sounds like the, they will have new title sponsorship from uh, an Italian energy company called with you who are already a pretty big secondary sponsor of theirs. Um, who sponsor their Moto E team. Uh, oh, and finally, there will also be a, a management buyout of the team, by the sounds of things. Um, 
The team is currently owned by Sepang International Circuit. It is a subsidiary of the circuit. Uh, but the team principal, Razlan Razali, and the team director, Johan Stigafeld, seem to be putting together an offer to take the whole thing off the hands of the uh, the Malaysian end of things, which actually I think will be quite good for the team because there's uh there's things that there's things that will run smoother whenever it's run as a European operation. Let's put it that way. The, um, but it it is a massive downsizing. There's no way around. Does it that. mean we won't we won't be calling it SRT either? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, it'll be. So we'll be if it's with you, we'll just calling it with you Yamaha, or will there? I'd imagine it'll be with you Yamaha or something along those lines. Yeah, that's a shame that because it's not only a cool color scheme. They're on the Mercedes AMG Formula One team. So they're with Lewis Hamilton. So they're getting the name out there. Um, That it's it's a shame because it's a for me at least it's a it's a. I won't say it's a cool international brand, you know, it's oil and lubricants and and whatever's, but there's something about it that they carry themselves well. Um, It's never good to to lose a big sponsor like that, a proper international multi-billion pound sponsor, Uh, not in the sport, but at least they got multi-billion pound turnover. So that's a shame. There were, of course, some difficult times, shall we say, at the beginning of the year between inside the garage, shall I say, there weren't things going so well. So this is probably not surprising to some people, I think, if I could word that politely. Yeah, well, it's also, it's also a shame because that's a really good team. And it's, it's already proven itself as being a very, very important card to have on the MotoGP grid and a team that deserves a lot of backing. I mean, ultimately, there's no other way to slice it. Uh, Yamaha owes it to its Patronus SRT team, the fact that it has any chance of a MotoGP title at all right now, because that Patronus SRT team discovered and developed Fabio Quartararo. It's it's superstar. And how many more Fabio Quartararos are there potentially that <clears throat> Yamaha might get Yamaha might want to put on their M1? What if they put Augusto Fernandez on their M1 and it turns out, oh my god, he's incredible. I mean I'm you can't rule that out. You can't rule out that you put Aaron Kinnett on that bike. And oh my God, he's incredible. That M1 clearly brings out something special from many riders. And Yamaha needs... I want Yamaha to take control of the situation. It's way too early for Darren Binder. I think they need two young stars on that bike. But that you need more backing and more stability for that. And you probably need better bike spec too. It's the Ralph Fernandez bid explained, obviously. But if Ralph Fernandez is a no-go, then go with someone else. Don't just... D- Darren Binder is not the next Fabio Quartararo, plain and simple. The, 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 I get taking a risk in a young talent, but he is not one that's going to be, you know, I would argue he's not even the next Dar- Brad Binder. I know where you're coming from, uh, but we do have to laugh at ourselves because Fabio Quartararo hadn't even won a Grand Prix by the time he was on the big bike. But he'd also not knocked off a con- like. A- a litany of people uh, in the season yeah, yeah, prior. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, Brad, yeah. Uh, Darren Bender's been penalised six times in the last year by the FIM stewards. Yeah, what, what, yeah, yeah. And yesterday he wasn't penalised, but probably yeah. maybe should have been. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Wow, what a race. Well, we now look forward to Silverstone, the British Grand Prix taking place over the uh, the UK's bank holiday weekend at the end of August. 
There are seven races remaining in this year's World Championship. Silverstone, Aragon, Mizano, Cota, Sepang, question mark, Simon? Uh, there are seven races remaining in the championship and there probably will be seven races run. But whether or not one of them is in Texas and one of them is in uh, Malaysia is very, very questionable. We heard some rumours at the weekend there are contingency plans if either of those don't happen, we'll go back to Mizano and then we'll go back to Jerez. And then Algarve and Valencia. So two races at yeah. Mizano, two races at Mizano, one at Jerez. Yeah, finish off the season. In we'll work it. Iberian Peninsula. Second race in Jerez, music to Fabio Quartararo's ears. Absolutely hmm. right. 100%. Wrongs of, yeah. Mm. He's, yeah. He's box office fantastic. There. He is. Yeah. He is. Super. Whew. What a race. What a race. Been fun as always, gentlemen. Thank you, Valentin Harunchi. Thank you, Simon Patterson. You need to get behind the wheel and get to the Channel Tunnel, and we look forward to catching up with you both after the Silverstone Grand Prix. But you never know. If there's big news, we'll have to do one of our little snap podcasts. What's on the horizon? Well, after the beginning of this Austrian two weekend with the Vinales news, you just never know in Mudder GP. Keep in touch with the-race.com. Do like and subscribe to this podcast. Do let us know through Twitter and underneath the podcast where you are listening from, what you're doing, taking the dog for a walk, cycling, whatever, walking to work. Let us know. It's great to hear where you are listening from all around the world. In the meantime, thank you for joining us. I'm Toby Moody. Goodbye for now.